Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you on this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Kelsey Wentling. She is a river steward with the Connecticut River Conservancy. Good morning to you. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Well, cleanup events are underway up and down the Connecticut River from the Sound up to Canada, but it's a little different from last year. Tell us what is happening. Sure. So uh, for folks who are familiar with our Source to Sea cleanup, it's an annual event. And usually it takes place over the span of two to three days towards the end of September. Uh, Of course, this year, everything is different. Um, in terms of how we're interacting with one another in our communities. So instead of concentrating the event around a weekend, we decided to make uh, all of September our cleanup month. And this means groups can go out uh, in smaller numbers, disperse in greater distances, and make sure everyone's staying safe um, and yeah, still getting out to our rivers, but in a safe uh, fashion. How do you see people organizing these events in these COVID times? Well, for something like our cleanup, um, we have created an online registration process where we invite leaders of different groups to come in and create a group. um, And then participants can then register for their group and then go out. So it's, it's a little bit more DIY style than it was before where we were managing uh, more folks, but that allows, uh, local communities to have greater autonomy and kind of decide what feels right for them. Now, is it just the the Connecticut River proper or is it also the the streams and, and, uh, you know, lakes that are are near the the river in the watershed? Good question. So um, our cleanup encompasses the entire watershed. And just in case folks aren't familiar with the term watershed, Um, A watershed is a way of delineating a piece of land so that all the water that falls within that area of land will eventually make it into the Connecticut River and then the Long Island Sound. So that includes streams, brooks, any tributaries, parking lots, parks, your own backyard, uh, really anything within that uh, watershed area. And for Connecticut, give us an idea of how big the Connecticut River watershed is. Sure. So um, 
In Connecticut, we start sort of up towards Enfield. It winds about 60-ish miles down uh, through central Connecticut, through Hartford, Middletown, down to Old Saybrook, where it goes out into the Sound. In terms of square miles, I'm not totally sure, um, but it's pretty encompassing, and uh, mostly that capital region down to um, Lower River area in central Connecticut. And we're over a, a third of the way through the month of September at this point. How many folks have gotten out there thus far? So far, um, we've had in Connecticut probably close to 50 or 100, uh, somewhere around there. And um, they're going out kind of all over the state. People are coming from outside our watershed to do a cleanup, which has been really great, um, and finding areas that are local to them. So um, I think. Folks are eager to get outside, which has been great this year. If people are hearing this this morning and want to go out and, and, and clean up today, what's your advice to them? So I would say head over to our website, ctriver.org. We have a lot of really great information on there on how to do it. Um, spots that might need special attention. If you don't already have one in mind, we have a map of that. Um, but it can really be pretty simple. It could be you, your friends and family, um, maybe people that you're potting with for the pandemic. Um, and then head on out um, collect some trash, make sure you have a plan to dispose of it. And then one thing that's really important to us that we ask all our groups to do is to keep uh, data on the items that they're collecting. And this year, uh, we have a new tool we're using called Clean Swell. It's a phone app um, that the Ocean Conservancy created. So whenever you pick up an item, we ask folks to just mark it down on that app so that we know what's out there. What items are, are typically found, and are there some surprises that have shown up over the years? Definitely some surprises. I hear back from groups every year about things I could never have imagined ending up in the Connecticut River, um, and that can include things that are large, like refrigerators and mattresses. Um, but last year, someone told me they found a painted, a hand-painted egg from Italy, um, or a Coke bottle still uh, unopened that looked like it was from the 50s. So there are some odd things there, but I'd say the more common items would include um, beverage containers, so plastic bottles, um, uh, plastic bags, cigarette butts, um, personal hygiene products. And this year we are curious to see if people will find a lot of um, PPE, PPE like gloves and masks. Are you hopeful to find fewer plastic bags, given that many places have instituted bans and put restrictions on them? Yes. Um, so, yeah, especially in Connecticut, some of the other watershed states, it's not been as sweeping. But we are hopeful that um, those are gradually being kind of phased out of our ecosystems. I, I anticipate that it will be some time. We still see them circulating around. Um, but yeah, I, I am hopeful about that. Um, I do know that um, because of COVID, some areas were in fact offering plastic bags again, which is unfortunate. Um, so hopefully there's no spike there from uh, people starting to use them again. But I think they're on the way out. Now, the Conservancy covers the entire stretch from Canada down to the Sound. But you are based in Middletown. In Connecticut, are there certain, quote-unquote, trouble spots when it comes to, to rubbish 
being found in the river? I'm thinking maybe a, a, a bend in the river or something where, where things collect? Yes. Um, so that's a great question. And um, there are a couple of places. So as you mentioned, some of the coves and inlets where the water is moving a little bit more slowly, they, they do catch there. So um, Weathersfield Cove, for example, is a good example of that. Um, there's, it's a pretty consistent site in terms of needing to be cleaned up. Um, and then there are other areas that just could use a little bit more love. So I think about uh, the Hockenham River in East Hartford, or um, even in Middletown, we have the Coggin Chog and Mattabasset River, which have a, have a good amount of trash as well. Have you done the math on how much trash collectively has been picked up over the years from, from this effort? Yeah, so um, that is a piece of a part of the data that we collect from our volunteers. Uh, I haven't aggregated it across the 24 years of the cleanup, but I know that last year, watershed wide, we got 67 tons of trash. And uh, I think someone converted to what the, what that weight would be in elephants. And I think it's like 16 elephants or something. Do you think the, the, the thinking has changed over the years in, in how we use the river as a resource? I'm thinking years ago, we used to have, you know, more drainage and in some cases, even sewage flowing into the river. And, you know, we're, we're a part of the country where there were a lot of mills and dumping dye and other chemicals into the river. Has the thinking changed? Uh, you know, I think it has. I talked to a lot of people who have lived along the river for maybe their whole life or visited it frequently. Um, and people tell me that uh, a couple decades ago, you would never touch the water. You would never go swimming. You didn't see as much wildlife. Um, and these days, the water's clean to swim in uh, for the most part. And then uh, you see a lot of boaters out there and a lot of wildlife returning to our local ecosystems. And I think that's reflective of how uh, we've come to value our rivers in a different way and understand that um, out of sight, out of mind does not necessarily apply here. Um, although I will say you mentioned sewage and unfortunately there are still things like sewage overflows into the river and uh, there's work to be done. But I, I do agree with your assessment that um, our mentality has moved, uh, shifted a bit to greater stewardship of this resource. With that in mind, give us an idea of where the, the health stands of the river on the, the, the larger spectrum, you know, going from the, the low point to a river that's pristine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I'd say we're, if I'm looking at like a, a cup of water, we're a little bit over halfway. I think um, the water is is clean. I think there's this misconception out there that uh, some people really don't want to go into the Connecticut River, but in fact, a lot of places are clean for swimming and fishing and boating. So um, I do encourage people to get out there and enjoy it. Uh, at the same time, we know that we have issues uh, with nitrogen loading and runoff carrying uh, different types of pollutants into the water. So in an ideal world, uh, if you can imagine, we would want to be able to drink out of uh, the river or something like that. But I, of course, do not recommend that. So we've got, a, we've got work to do, but it's pretty healthy. We talked about bags a bit earlier. How big an issue is, is plastic pollution in the river? Plastic is uh, certainly the number one item we find in the river. Um, and in fact, we're 
later this year going to do some microplastics monitoring to get a better sense of uh, how plastic breaks down and, and what that looks like. But it is a significant issue. Um, and I think one thing we're trying to communicate is that it's not just an issue on the part of uh, litter bugs, but also on uh, corporations and uh, producers who produce items that are maybe wrapped in plastic or um, sold in plastic containers. So what we'd really like to see is not just a greater awareness on the part of people like us, the consumers, but also um, corporations offering us alternatives to plastic, like compostable containers or reusable things. So uh, I think between those two things, greater consumer awareness and um, producer responsibility, we could really reduce the amount of plastic getting into the water. And remind us, what is the, the lifespan of a, of a piece of plastic that might get dumped into the Connecticut River? It's going to outlive you and me. Oh, for sure. Yeah, hundreds of years. Um, it's some, some plastics, like styrofoam is a type of plastic. Um, we don't even know if it will ever fully go away. So, um, you know, each item does have a significant impact on the river and uh, all the plastic that we've created is still here on earth. It's not, uh, not degraded. And if it does uh, degrade, um, basically that means it's breaking down into smaller pieces of plastic until we care about it a little bit less. So <laughs> uh, uh, the ideal option here would be just to reduce the plastic even being produced. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Kelsey Wentling. She is a river steward with the Connecticut River Conservancy. They are doing a cleanup all this month along the Connecticut River watershed from Canada all the way down to the Sound. Give us an idea of some of the wildlife that has really rebounded along the, the river in recent decades, given efforts to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Sure. So... Um... A lot of people talk to me about, and I've seen it myself, um, uh, bald eagles along the river, osprey, um, a lot of different birds. And I think that's reflective, not just of um, habitat for these animals, but also uh, food source. So fish returning to the river. Um, part of what we do at our organization in the spring is fish monitoring programs to collect data to see how fish populations are recovering. Um, and so it's looking, things are looking good. Again, um, progress to be made. We, over many decades, the fish population declined drastically. So uh, it's on the rebound, but there are many, many different kind of animals you can see. Just the other day, I actually saw a deer swimming in the river, which I had, didn't even know was possible. How good is the Connecticut River for fishing and, and what sorts of fish might people find if, if they uh, drop a line in? Sure. Uh, so I, I, a ton of people go fishing on the Connecticut River. Um, some fish that we monitor for are river herring, so like blueback um, herring, um, different kinds of river trout. Uh, we mentioned sea lamprey a while ago. People don't really fish for sea lamprey, but they're an important part of the ecosystem. So there are, and, and on the tributaries, there are many uh, great spots for people to drop a line in. You, you mentioned lampreys. They are an interesting uh, case. People might not really recognize them as fish, and I believe they, they go out to sea and then come back and, and, and die, and other life forms uh, use their remains for nutrients. Is that, do I have that right? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I have a special place in my heart for lamprey. Um, people tend to find them horrifying to look at because they look kind of like eels um, and they're known as the vampires of the sea because they're parasitic in marine environments. But I do want to say once they get into the rivers, uh, they don't feed at all. So nothing to worry about in terms of a lamprey attaching onto you. And if you see one, uh, that would be indicative of a healthy aquatic environment. And that's not the case in, in some other places. For example, some some lakes, they're, they're not considered native and they're considered a bad thing, but that's not the case in the Connecticut. Correct. And that's a really common misunderstanding that, uh, so in places like Lake Champlain or the Great Lakes, uh, you in fact do not want to have lamprey there. But uh, in the Connecticut River, as you mentioned, they're a really important source of nutrients when they swim back up river um, to spawn and then die. Give us an idea of the role that the river plays in the overall environment. How important is it to other pieces of our environmental puzzle? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good question, um, partly because, uh, unfortunately, not everyone has equal access to the river. So if you're someone who's not really a water person or you're not really sure if you're near a river, um, you may not think about it in the way that you think about something like clean air and clean land. But um, when I think about the river, I don't necessarily parse it out from those things because our environment is so interdependent on having clean water, clean air, and, you know, clean lands to live in. So, um, you know, of course I'm biased, but <laughs> there, I really believe the rivers that we live around are integral to um, maintaining these healthy ecosystems. So they're a source, as I kind of mentioned with, with birds, they um, provide food sources, obviously water source, um, but then um, research goes into how things like estuaries uh, can act as carbon sinks to mitigate the impacts of climate change. So um, it's really tied to just about everything you can think of. Do you have a favorite place on the Connecticut River? I get asked this question a lot, and I think I give a different answer every time. <laughs> but I have to say, I love spending time on the estuary. Uh, an estuary is where um, the salt water meets the fresh water down at the mouth of the river, so near the Long Island Sound. And you see a really um, great diversity of wildlife down there. The river is very wide, uh, lots of different types of plants and animals, and it's a really beautiful area. Are there one or two things about the Connecticut River that you think uh, might surprise people when they hear it? Um, yeah, a little tidbit I have heard is that the Connecticut River supplies 70% of all the fresh water that goes into the Long Island Sound, which um, to me, I, th I think is fascinating because then I think about... Um, the impact of our healthy river systems and how that then impacts people even in Long Island and New York who use the Long Island Sound. So I, I find that a little bit surprising. You mentioned river access and how it's not equal across the board, but is is there, how do you balance river access and development and leaving a natural resource in a pristine state for future generations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is um, 
a combination of, I guess, you know, individual stewardship along with sensible policies implemented by state, local, and federal governments, and then work um, of organizations and towns to steward the river. Because um, there, I do believe that there are ways to use the river that um, lead to economic prosperity for local communities and that don't necessarily um, negatively impact the river. So there is a balance there. Um, and when we have a framework for the state um, or even at the federal government that supports economic growth while also supporting, um, you know, and environmental research and stewardship and cleanups like ours, um, then I think you can strike that balance. Because to me, if people aren't using the river, if they don't have access to it on their boats or fishing or swimming, then it's hard to get people to care about the river. Why should they really if, if they can't use it? So um, in, in some ways, using the river, I think, leads to a healthier river. When it comes to environmental policy, are there particular areas where Connecticut really excels or where things could be improved? Yeah, um, I think Connecticut is really um, making some strides to address the climate crisis. And some of that's research, um, but the governor also has a council um, on climate change at the moment, GC3. And so um, this pulls in a lot of different stakeholders to engage on the issue uh, with subgroups that are specific to rivers. Um, and then I think we, we do have some strong policies for um, waste reduction and recycling for things like mattresses or paint. Um, but I do think there is certainly room for improvement. Um, bringing it back to the cleanup a little bit, we find a lot of tires in the river um, that people dump illegally because they're expensive to pay for to dump. And there are policies um, called extended producer responsibility that builds the cost into the, the cost of the tire sale. So things like that would really reduce um, tire waste in the river. And it's actually, uh, speaking of rivers, similar um, with abandoned vessels, where there's a bit of an issue with people kind of running aground their old boats, um, because the, the policy and the law is not quite uh, up to date. Also, going back to the cleanup, I know some areas are in a drought. How big a concern is that? And might that actually help cleanup efforts this month to expose things that would typically be underwater. Yeah, that's a good silver lining. Um, <laughs> so you're right, as the water levels are lower, it's easier to find trash that's floated down the river and lodged maybe lower on the water line, um, or even see things that we missed in previous years. But it, this kind of thing is a concern, and uh, we anticipate it being exacerbated as our climate changes. And that's why I do feel that it's really critical that um, we're all um, taking climate change seriously and, and taking steps to address it. Now, as people go out and clean up the river this month, you have a, a hashtag, the, the River Conservancy does. It is River Witness. Tell us what that is. Yeah, so along with the changes we're implementing this year due to COVID, um, we want to make sure that people can 
share in new ways what they're seeing. So our hashtag River Witness campaign um, has a couple purposes. One is just to share parts of the river that you really love and, and want other people to see or to visit. Um, so someone in Vermont could see what it looks like in Connecticut or vice versa. Um, and then the other piece of it is uh, we know that people who are local to their river systems can testify as to what's good there or what needs improvement. So if you're seeing um, some sort of pollutant or trash, or if there's a dam that's maybe, you know, blocking a lot of fish from getting up river, um, using the hashtag river witness highlights these issues and allows us to kind of get a greater understanding of what's happening and, and what we can do going forward. If people want to know more about the Connecticut River Conservancy, where can they go? The best place to go is our website, ctriver.org, but we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Where you can find that hashtag, River Witness. She is Kelsey Wentling, River Steward with the Connecticut River Conservancy. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 